Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. I want to get Amy Gardner up because I got to tell you, you guys deserve a Pulitzer Prize for this series. Uh, The Washington Post reporter Amy Gardner is with us, and this is this new in-depth investigation into the January 6th. Uh, well, I know you can call it insurrection, riot. It's going to be called a hundred things before it's over with. But the post investigation is is titled "The Attack: Before, During, and After." How many reporters, Amy? And thanks for coming on the Madison Show. Uh, how many reporters worked on this uh, investigative series? Uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And um, it is roughly thirty. Reporters, uh, this was an enormous effort. I've never been a part of such a, 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 a huge collaboration, and it, it was an absolute uh, honor and privilege to be a part of it. We brought together reporters from our investigative team, from our politics investigations team, from our Capitol Hill team, from our White House team, uh, and we worked for months and months and months uh, talking to hundreds of sources, looking at thousands of documents and court records and video and audio. Uh, many of us traveled around the country to interview people in person. Uh, it was an absolute uh, privilege and just an enormous undertaking, and I'm very proud of it. What part did, did you work on uh, specifically? What part did you work on? I, uh, I the bulk of my reporting is in the third chapter, which is called after. Uh, you know, it's d- divided into three chapters: before, during, and after. So I and my colleague and good friend Rosalind Hel- Helderman wrote after, and we also uh, contributed a bunch of reporting to that piece. Uh, we contributed to the other well, but our focus was the aftermath. I cover voting for the Washington Post. Uh, and so I had been covering the issue of, you know, contesting the 2020 election. I had covered the, all of the challenges and uh, questions surrounding the 2020 result for months. So it was a natural fit for me to focus on how those questions were not going away after January 6th. In a lot of ways, I was reporting in real time what we pulled for the third chapter, which documents how the forces that drove the violence on January 6th have not gone away, basically. You, and, and now let me tell everyone, Amy Gardner is one of the 30-plus reporters that were part of this post-investigation. The series is called The Attack Before, During, and After. And uh, I, I should point out former political editor and a national uh, political uh, reporter. Um, you probably have gotten this, and I'm not, I'm not coming up with any new questions. So the, the, <laughs> is there anything that surprised you as a, as a reporter? I'm not asking you for an editorial comment, but as you were you know, doing this, and, again, and, and let me piggyback my question, how were people willing to talk? Uh, because I'm always fascinated. I just got through uh, reading per, uh, Peril, and I'm just fascinated 
how people are willing to talk now. So it's it's sort of a, a dual question there. Uh, you know, we were and we weren't surprised by what we found. And we absolutely found people to talk. Uh, my colleague Beth Reinhardt documented the story of a a rioter named Paul Hodgkins, who wound up being, if I'm not mistaken, the first rioter uh, sentenced to uh, as a result of a felony conviction for his role uh, in the insurrection. He, uh, people may recall, w- was a gentleman with long hair at the the Senate chamber with a Trump flag in his hands uh, on January 6th. Uh, and he spoke expansively to Beth over months of interviews. Uh, my colleague Aaron Davis uh, spoke to two crucial figures in, in this story. Uh, one, uh, the head of Homeland Security for the D.C. government, uh, who documented all of the red flags that he had seen uh, and that were dismissed or ignored uh, or not not acted upon by federal law enforcement. Um, he also spent months talking to a captain in the United States Capitol Police who not only endured physical injuries on January 6th and is fighting uh, you know, the, the the toll that chemical sprays and other agents had on her face, but the mental anguish um, that, that she suffered. She uh, was one of the first people to go to the hospital on January 7th when, uh, when she learned that her colleague Brian Sicknick had died, uh, so a member of the United States Capitol Police. Um, Carnesha uh, Mendoza, that captain, told us this incredible detail, told Aaron an incredible detail, which was that on January 7th, when she woke up, she noticed that her Fitbit on on her wrist had logged something like four hours of uninterrupted aerobic, high-intensity aerobic activity. That was the period when she was literally fighting in a scrum wow. with dozens of other officers in uh, inside the Capitol, just an incredible detail. So I I was surprised and uh, grateful at how many people were willing to tell us their stories. And those yeah. stories, those very personal stories, were what allowed us to piece together this sort of uh, cinematic narrative that pu- pulled it all together. Yeah, this is. I mean, it, it, now let's you, you, about the after aftermath. How, what what are did you interview members of Congress or their staff? Because now it's it's almost what's the word I want to use? There, there's so much d- denial of what what was and was not dangerous. I mean, now, it, and I use the term on my show, and I'm not a journalist, you know, and that is, it, but this is my words. There's, there's this whitewashing that just amazes me when I know what, I'm, what I saw and I'm watching these news reports carefully. Um, did you, did, does the series deal with 
that aspect of it, what appears to be members of Congress whose lives are in danger, that now appear to be whitewashing. And you used the word, I I caught it for a moment there, uh, you used the word insurrection. And there seems to be all kind of adjectives now being thrown around. Just your comment about that aspect of it. Uh, we do document that, and I think we document it in a couple different ways. First of all, we spoke to several members of Congress who are are, uh, are Democrats and not in denial about the violence that occurred that day, and are experiencing their own, uh, you know, uh, levels of, of emotional trauma from from what they experienced that day. I mean, we spoke to a couple of members of Congress who were actually on an airplane back home, one to Boulder and one to the central coast of California, both on the same uh, airplane uh, to Denver on January 7th. And the plane was filled with Trump supporters who appeared to have been rioters who had been at the attack the previous day. And by the end of the flight, they were so rowdy and so riled up that they were chanting, I'll bleep myself here for the radio audience, but they were well, chanting. Whoa, well, well, you don't have to. Well, let, me do you, uh, let me do you a favor. I have a cuss jar, so I put a dollar in it, so you don't have to. <laughs> they were chanting F. Biden, F. Biden, as the plane descended into wow. Denver. And two Congress left this story, and it was absolutely harrowing. And they were on that plane with their wives, and they had just experienced this trauma the day before. Um, I mean, remember, Members of Congress were huddled in aisles in the galleries of the chambers and were telephoning their loved ones, not certain that they were going to make it out. They were listening to rioters in the corridors outside the doors, shouting, you know, hang pence. I mean, this was an incredibly traumatic day for them. So that's one way that we documented the experience of members of Congress. And, of course, the other way uh, is we documented how the forces that we saw explode out into the open on January 6th have not gone away and, in fact, have become a driving force within the Republican Party. Yeah. We, yeah. we documented that nearly one-third of all Republican candidates who have expressed interest in running for statewide office across the country uh, are, are people who have embraced Trump's lies about the 2020 election or – have refused to acknowledge Joe Biden as the president of the United States. And many of those are incumbents, incumbent members of Congress or Senate. And so, uh, so that those are the sort of, it's a tale of two experiences in a way. Yeah. Now, again, let me, let me, uh, let me uh, uh, let everybody know we're talking to uh, uh, Amy Gardner, who is Washington Post national political reporter, former political editor, the the uh, Post investigation. It's called the attack before, during, and after. Even though, uh, it, it, let me ask you about: uh, Do you do you discuss? Do you write about in the in the uh, the, the piece what Trump? I'm always curious, what was he doing uh, uh, during the the riot? Does the report go into detail about that? Yes, I, um, I urge your listeners to read Chapter 2, which is called During Bloodshed, and that was written by my uh, incredible colleague, Phil Rucker, 
um, and also reported on by dozens of, of colleagues. Um, and that story meticulously documents the 187 minutes of violence during which President Trump did nothing uh, and documents each horrific event as it occurred, you know, nine minutes in, 12 minutes in, 100 minutes in, uh, you know, including the death of two riots, cardiac events, the death of Ashley Babbitt, the rioter who was shot by a Capitol Police officer as she tried to breach the House chamber, uh, you know, the, the, the injuries uh, sustained by, suffered by Capitol Police officers, um, and and the efforts by legions to reach the president and urge him to say something and his failure to do so until 187 minutes after the violence had begun. Now, when you say and, and, and I, I, when you say legions of people who failed to reach him, uh, they, they failed. Why? Because he wasn't in the Oval Office. They failed because. Uh, there, I mean, why were they? What, do, do you talk about why you write about why they failed to reach him? What, in other words, he's president of the United States. He has a staff. He, where was he? In in a bunker somewhere? Where was he? He was watching TV in the, the private dining room that is uh, just off the Oval Office in the White House. Um, and when I say people failed to reach him, I, I don't mean the pe- people reached him. He heard the message. He he spoke to people on the phone. His own daughter, Ivanka Trump, was among those who urged him to say something, to uh, urge his supporters to to leave the Capitol and to um, you know stop the violence. And he didn't do anything for those 187 minutes. Yeah. You know, and and again, I, I'm going to close out here. I I am I am just absolutely I, I'm amazed at how. In other words, you you got you reporters thirty plus. You not you didn't make this up because you know that that's all. This is fake news. You 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 ran all these stories by all these interviews by editors. That had to you had to validate everything that's in that story. Is that accurate? Absolutely. I mean, th- this is the most meticulous piece of journalism I've ever had the privilege of being a part of. Everything is documented. We even have footnotes throughout the series documenting um, our sourcing uh, on on dozens and dozens of points. We show links to to court documents and conversations. We have uh, audio compilations of the threats that election workers and politicians have received who have refused to go along with Trump's lies. We, uh, we have interviews with hundreds and hundreds of sources uh, and video. I mean, this is the part that I find so confounding about those who are now attempting to revise history about what happened on January 6th. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on video. Uh, it's all there. Uh, it, it's just remarkable the capacity of some folks in this country to not want to see it. Yeah. 
I know we hear it every day here on the Madison Show. Um, first of all, thank you for taking the time to to come on. It, it again, it's uh, it, it, the the series. It's the the attack before, during, and after, and uh, I assume all again. If people want to read this, they can online. It's published in the newspaper. Uh, any anything you want to add? I mean, I said, would do you think this is going to be put be put in a book form? We're pu- we're going to publish it in print this coming okay. Sunday. Right. Uh, it'll be a special section for those who uh, subscribe to our print edition in the uh, D.C. metro region. But yeah. we are yeah. also going to make that special section available for sale as a reprint. Good, so good, stay good. tuned and 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 yeah. you know keep keep looking at our website where we will most yeah. certainly promote that uh, that opportunity to purchase. Yeah. I, the one suggestion, question. if it hasn't been made, and I, I assume it has, you, you, I, I wish you can put it in audio form too. Oh um, wow! I'll pass you know, it along. Really. Thank you for the yeah. idea. No, really, be, because I tell you, one of the things I've been doing. Uh, is is like I read uh, Peril in they I mean when I say I read it audio book, and it, it was like I couldn't couldn't stop listening, and then I I did uh, Obama's Promised Land same thing, um but um you know I'm there there's a I got a lot of listeners they're truck drivers they're they're in transportation. They, they, uh, just a, just a suggestion, just a suggestion. And I, I, I appreciate it. Thank you, you so much. <laughs> okay. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for being a professional journalist. I appreciate it. And, and this series, uh, phew, folks, you know, we'll see. I want people to, uh, to check it out. You have a great day and, and appreciate you coming on and sharing this insight about it. Appreciate it. Thank you, and you as well. Take care. Okay. You can listen to yours truly, Madison the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.